This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. You're listening to the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. Welcome, listeners, to today's show. I'm Ross Romano, and my guest today is Dr. Julie Evans. She's CEO of Project Tomorrow and founder of the Speak Up Research Project. And she has a new book out called Free Agent Learning. It's actually just been out a couple of months, so a very new book here. So congratulations on the book and welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Ross. I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled to be talking about the book. Yeah, this is a really exciting book. There's a lot of, uh, I think, really interesting ideas here that give quite a bit of meaning to what we know and hear a lot about, right? Students wanting voice, students wanting choice, but really defining over, I think, about 17 years worth of research, what does that actually mean? What are the things they say they want? What does it look like? What does the student vision of learning look like? And then how do we as educators in our various roles and as parents and other stakeholders actively work to make that happen? One of the things that stood out to me and thinking through that, and one of the things, the title of the book, as we said, free agent learning, and it's about that self-directed learning that students have that happens outside of the school, right? And historically, I think the viewpoint on that was that learning is... Sure, it's happening. Learning happens all the time, every place, but from the school's perspective, that's outside of our purview, right? Not necessarily that we don't, that we only believe learning happens in the classroom, but that we only think that worrying about the learning in the classroom is what we have to think about. Ultimately, we now, I think, have a better understanding of that leveraging that self-directed learning that students are having Uh, on their own time in this day and age with technology where information is at their fingertips and and life really is full of that kind of exploration, that it is important for school leaders and teachers to really gain a better understanding of what that is so that it can be utilized in the classroom, expand the reach of what we can talk about in our classrooms to enhance the engagement that our students have, right, to really show them relevance to their lives. So what have you seen over the years that you've been studying this? How one, what is the, what initially drew you to this idea around the free agent learning? And then two, have you seen 
understanding of that start to evolve? What's the gap that we still really need to close there? So let me let me start off talking about what sort of drew me to this topic. And it actually was really interesting. I've been in education technology for a long time. Project Tomorrow, my nonprofit organization, has been studying the use of technology in school and outside of school. And what was fascinating to me very early on in our research is that we were studying how kids were using technology in school directed by teachers. So consequently, how teachers were using technology. But what we were also learning is that students were using technology very differently outside of school. And so that started us down a path to say, okay, so let's examine what students are doing first off, right. what tools they're using, but then also why were they self-directing learning outside of school? And so that was really interesting because what we found flew in the face, shall we say, of what right. some either some other researchers had found or what the general adult understanding was. People were still, still to some extent, thinking about student technology use outside of school is just about entertainment. Mm -hmm. or just about following celebrities on social media or playing games just for the sake of playing games. So it was more the fun and entertainment or friendship development component and not necessarily to see it as real learning. And so that's when we started to dive deeply into understanding what was motivating students to do this sort of self-directed learning, really learning, and how did that have an impact? And so then that led us, of course, to examining whether or not schools and districts, particularly school and district leaders, were paying attention to the out-of-school access. And of course they were, particularly during the pandemic. There was a lot of attention that was placed on making sure that students had access to technology so that we could continue the formalized learning process outside of school. But for the most part, people weren't, as you said, Ross, paying attention to how kids were using technology, how technology was enabling them to be learners. And what I like to talk about is the fact that for today's students, for all of us, in fact, even as adults, learning's a 24-7 enterprise. It doesn't start and stop with the hours of the school day. And so what is happening is that for many of our students, actually the most meaningful learning experiences they're having are taking place outside of school. So we need to understand that because what students are actually doing outside of school can inform the way we're thinking about improving or enhancing the in-classroom learning experience. So I tell people all the time, this is an asset to help improve schools that we're not paying attention to. We're paying attention to the assets that are, as you said, within the purview of our educators. But this is another asset that actually could help inform conversations about how to improve school and how to make school more meaningful for all students and how to address some of the equity challenges that we're seeing in schools. So it drives me crazy, right. Ross, I'm sorry to have to share this, but it drives me crazy to think we have this valuable asset that we're not taking advantage of. Right. And it's this asset that we can really utilize to, to inform students' perspectives on what learning is and understanding that students who may 
feel as though that they are not that interested in learning because they just think of it as the way it's been narrowly defined as what happens in a classroom. If there is more engagement with the self-directed learning they're doing in their lives to show them a perspective on, look, you're engaging in learning all the time. There are things you're interested in, right? You're a motivated learner and we value that. And then that also enables the schools to understand that the flip side of the democratization of information is that there's also access to a lot of bad information or false information. And if we're not engaging with students and truly interested in the things that they're learning about, there is no way to uncover that as well and say, oh, okay, where did you discover that? What was the source? What drew you to that? Have you thought about this? All those things that can say, all right, let's take that natural intrinsic motivation that our kids have and the true interests that they do have out there, and then also use that to help them learn more and learn better about things that relate to the curriculum. Absolutely. And it it really parallels the shift that we've all been talking about in education for a while. And that's where I think the maybe the door opening is happening. Back in another time, all we did was focus in on content knowledge, right? So the student as the empty vessel that we are going to fill with knowledge about physics, or we're going to fill with knowledge about how you multiply fractions. And the increased awareness over the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years has been more about let's making sure that we're focusing on helping students develop the types of life, workforce, college, career, future focus skills that they need to be successful. So whether we're thinking about that as critical thinking or problem solving or collaboration, communications. And so as we've been making that shift, it's also important to understand that for the students, they're very focused in on the skill development part. And so they actually see that the learning that they're doing outside of school may be about some content. So we may have learned something about Civil War medicine in our history class, but we wanna learn more. So they start to explore that. But it's also about developing their skills and preparing themselves for the future. And so this is the hook, I think, that helps us bring this conversation into the classroom. Because if students are interested in skill development, if we can find pathways to activate their intrinsic motivations for learning and be able to show them the contextual relevancy of that learning process, then actually it does open up the opportunity to help them develop the types of information and media literacy skills that we know that are important, the opportunity to be able to authenticate bias, be able to discern what is accurate or fully vetted. It really opens up quite a number of teaching moments that we can incorporate. But we have to be open to this idea that what's happening outside of school is in fact a motivation component right. of the overall student's learning profile. Yeah, absolutely. And and so when we, you know, think about the students and what their vision of their learning is, what they want to see, one of the things that you've really achieved over the years of having done these surveys is authentically listening right to students and hearing them out and understanding that there's a way that sometimes schools are described, which to a certain population, I feel like sounds crude, but it's it's a relevant way of thinking, which is that schools are a customer service business. Students are the customer. And 
if you were any other kind of business, would you be listening to what your customers wanted? Would you understand how to market what you're doing? Would you understand how to refine and develop your products for them? Because in the modern times, we all want voice and choice in our lives. It could be anything from the cable cord cutting, unbundling, and I want to be able to choose the streaming services I want. I don't want it to all just be given to me. It's things like those professionals who are advocating for remote or hybrid work options and saying, well, I want to be able to do this for a living, but I want to be able to live here. So it's there. that is a big part of all of our lives. So of course, the same should apply to our kids. So for the kids, when they say, okay, we want to have a voice in our learning. I think that's an important thing to drill down on and say, what specifically do they mean? What are the specific things that they envision when they're saying, I want more of a voice and this is what it should look like? Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes, and as you can imagine, I do a lot of conference presentations on this Mm -hmm. topic. I do workshops in school districts to help leaders understand how to assimilate this as an asset. So quite often folks will say, wait a minute here, Julie, I I don't want a kid coming into my class and saying, I don't feel like learning algebra today. I want to read a book, right? If it's a math class, that's not what, that's not what the students are interested in. That isn't what they mean by having some element of self-direction or some element of choice. What they're talking more is about methodology. And if we are doing a class project, if we are learning things around a particular subject area, are there alternative ways of approaching that learning process that might better fit the way I'm comfortable learning, particularly from a pace standpoint? Can I moderate my own pace from a learning standpoint? Can I use tools that are most familiar for me? Can I have the opportunity to maybe have some self-directed component here and not have it all be scripted or scaffolded for me? So they're looking for that sort of methodology opportunities. And that is something that in certain classes, the idea of differentiating instruction, the idea of personalizing the learning process, individualizing the learning process is a reality. But in too many classes, it's just lip service that we're providing. (laughs) So if we say to a student, okay, so you've read this novel, now we're going to give you three choices. You can make a poster, you can make a PowerPoint, or you can write an essay. Mm-hmm. That's choice, but maybe that's too limited a choice. So we need to be thinking a little bit more broadly about how do we re-engineer our approach to learning to put students in the driver's seat of developing the types of skills, again, that will make them self-directed learners. Because from our employers, we know from a workforce development standpoint, employers are always talking about the fact they want self-directed employees. They want employees that will take responsibility for their ongoing learning. But that doesn't happen. It's not a magic bean that we grow and it happens automatically. We actually have to nurture those skills. And so that's another benefit to giving students more choice in their learning experience from a methodology standpoint. Yeah, and I like the putting them in the driver's seat terminology that you used because it ties into, I think if we dissect this term around free agent, free agency, there's the two words and what they mean 
And the free, there's the freedom piece, which is the choice and the ability to make our own decisions, right? And not be tethered by what somebody else is telling us to do. But also that agency piece is something that is developed and it can be really that's where the educators really need to come in and help students develop what it means to have agency, which is not only to have choice and voice, but to know how to enact that and make an impact. So if you're in the driver's seat of a car, for example, you know, you have the freedom to choose where you want to go. And you also have agency because you have a tool that can help you get there. Versus if I just drop you off in the middle of nowhere by yourself, you're free, but you have limited agency because there's nothing you can do. I'm talking about this before we started recording. We're recording this during the period of Major League Baseball free agency. And it's another way to think about it is not only do, so the players have freedom of movement, they can choose do I want to go to a particular team? Do I want to prioritize the most salary versus location versus other factors? But also I, number one, have a skill set that brings value to these organizations. So I have the ability to leverage that too. I have a somebody who works with me who's literally called an agent who knows how to connect me with the right opportunities to negotiate on my behalf, to give me the ability to exert my influence. Because me, myself, like I'm, I guess I'm a free agent right now, but I'm, I can't really do much with that because nobody wants my skill set at this point in time. I'm not, I can't bring much so I think that's a great thing to bring back to those educators to say, one, for the students, from their perspective, when they're thinking about, okay, <clears throat> this is how I want to have voice in my school. This is how I want to be able to make decisions. Do they have a clear vision of here's how I want to be supported by my teachers? Here's the ways in which I really feel like my teachers can help me to refine my skills and to put me in positions to, to make an impact. And then two, after that, from the educator's perspective, where can we be seeing those opportunities and saying, okay, giving students the opportunity to have self-directed learning and have some freedom doesn't mean just letting them go out and do their own thing, <laughs> not engaging with that, but it means really helping them to, again, tap into that intrinsic motivation, tap into their individual interests and help them to refine that, to say, okay, if you like this and this, here's how you can really do something with it. Yeah, it's absolutely. And I love that you're honing in on the agency part of this and true confessions here. I am a sports fan. And so the title free agent learners is totally a riff. Right. <laughs> on free agents in sports, totally taken from that. I was so struck, Ross, a couple of years ago, and this was during the pandemic, I did a whole series of interviews with students all across the country about what their virtual learning experience was like. Uh, it's part of the ongoing work that Project Tomorrow does as part of our Speak Up Research project to really understand that authentic voice. So of course, during the pandemic, we took advantage of that to do lots of Zoom meetings with students and panel discussions. And I carry in my heart still today, this conversation I had with this one young man, a high school junior, who said to me that the virtual learning experience that he had in spring of 2020 was horrible, absolutely horrible for him. And the reason was, and this is the quote, he said, I don't know how to learn if my teacher isn't telling me how to learn. Now, this is a high school junior. If we are not developing agency for our students in terms of being able to self-direct learning, to take responsibility for their learning, to drive their own educational destiny, even within the classroom environment, then we're doing a disservice to our students. We're not setting them up for success. 
Now that may have been an isolated incident, or for some of our listeners here, they may have know of students in their schools, in their districts, that we are not addressing their need to become a self-sufficient learner. And so here again is an opportunity for teachers in particular to reach out to their students and say, what are you interested in? What are you passionate about? Right. And to use the fact that maybe they're self-directing learning outside of school around whatever it is, World War II history, blacksmithing, <laughs> making fishing lures, making TikTok videos about putting on eye makeup, whatever it might be, find out what students' passions are. Because again, that's another door opener to understanding how to unlock that intrinsic motivation for learning. Yeah. And I think in, a, in another way of framing it, as you write in the book about the four different learning environments, traditionally school-based, homework, extracurricular, and then the self-directed, interest-driven one. The first three largely take place not necessarily inside the school building, but as part of the school organization. Extra extracurriculars could happen in or outside of the school. Homework is assigned by the school. It happens at home. School-based learning, and then the self-directed, interest-driven. And the way you define each of those as far as they come to be is that those first three are in some way, shape, or form adult-directed and adult-sponsored. So whether that's a teacher or if it's an extracurricular and it's a different adult, and then the interest-driven one is student-directed and that's it, right? And there's an opportunity to make student-directed learning also adult-sponsored to say, here, I'm here to support you. I'm here to really help you. It makes me think of our recent episode here on the podcast with Ryan Bene Thomaseb, who we talked to you about the role of the modern school librarian and the various things that those folks can do to say, okay, we can give students a variety of options and things they want to learn about and then be there to help them learn and to learn alongside them. And I don't know if perhaps that relates to anything that you've seen as far as some of the typical challenges of bringing some of this free agent learning to be, being that of course, there's going to be students who are deeply interested in a variety of things that I, as their teacher, may not know that much about. And I feel like my job is that, of course, I'm supposed to be the expert, but that I can also have a role as an expert in what it means to learn, what it means to find information, and we can learn alongside each other. And it doesn't mean that I'm not doing my job correctly. It means that we are just really expanding our universe of learning. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really getting to so many conversations that folks are having about this evolving role of the teacher in the classroom. So is it, are we still stuck in the past with that sage on the stage? Or do we have an opportunity to be a facilitator of that process and to be really honed in on what students are thinking about and making sure that we're helping to support that. I love there's so many different stories I talk about, Ross, in the book, actual experiences where I've talked with teachers, talked with students about what they're doing. And I'm always struck by the teachers that when they take the opportunity to get to know their students better as people and start to develop at a deeper level that really important student-teacher relationship, and we know how important that relationship is, in the learning process. This has to include how students are learning outside of school, 
and bringing it in. So you probably remember in the book, I talk about this young fifth grader who taught himself totally unbeknownst to his teacher, taught himself how to play the piano using his school provided tablet at home. Teacher had no idea that's how the students were using their tablets for any sort of self-directed learning. They were only, the teacher was only thinking about homework. Was our student, was I giving my students the opportunity to take a look at their grades online, maybe even email them with a question. But this idea that the student then brought back into the classroom, his tablet, because he brings back and forth school to home and gave a concert in his class playing the piano, opened the teacher's eyes, this is a really good teacher, to thinking about how do I get to know my students better? And I love the fact that she then institutionalized as part of the startup routine every morning where students had the opportunity to share what they had learned on their own the night before. That's the key thing. Sometimes we don't think about technology in this way. But technology has enabled all of us to have greater access to information, greater access to resources, and greater opportunities to develop all kinds of different skills. I think there is such a wonderful opportunity for teachers to help direct that, and including librarians, to help direct that activity so that we're not only providing every student with access to technology, but we're providing every student with the opportunity to use that technology as a learning device, whether that happens at 11 o'clock right. in period four, or happens at five o'clock or even 7.30 at night. Right. Yeah. And it, it's a potential rethinking of what what homework is and what would be valuable, right? To say, okay, what I really want you to do is to reflect on and think about the things that you're learning, the things that you're interested in versus here, go do this assignment, bring us some new ideas. It almost makes me think of a lot of doctors will say now, which is we actually, even though the old kind of cliche was that it's annoying when people are self-diagnosing, actually, we want you to think about your symptoms, to do a little research, go on WebMD and see some things that you think it might be because we have a lot of patients, we only have so much time and there's a lot of medical knowledge out there. It doesn't mean we're not experts in what we do, but it means if we can start by narrowing it down a little bit by you bringing some of your ideas, maybe we can get to the answer faster. And time is of the, <laughs> and if we start from scratch and I have no idea who you are, how you're feeling, what's going on, and we only have our little bit of time together, we're not going to get that far in our relationship. Same thing with teachers and students. So one of the things that stood out so having done the speak up surveys for 17 years, that spans, uh, it spans a lot of different iterations of technology and what technology looks like. So it seems to me that a lot of what you must have found is there's gotta be some durable findings that have consistently come up over the years that are not about, okay, it's about this particular form of tech. It's more about what technology represents and what it enables more broadly. What are some of the things that have been most durable over the years that come up again and again, you know, no matter how classrooms change or how the technology available changes, it's yep, students consistently are mentioning these things. 
Yeah, that's a wonderful question, Ross. It's It's been really interesting. Right from the beginning, when we started the Speak Up Research Project, we were sensing that students wanted to have, as we've already talked about, a greater voice in the direction of their education. But they felt so stifled. And unfortunately, many students still feel stifled today where they don't feel like, even outside of what are we doing in this class or what are we doing in this assignment, students have an idea of what that ultimate or that perfect learning environment should look like. And so they have always, almost every year that we've done the study, they talk about the same key components. If they were designing a learning environment to best meet their needs, they would want that learning environment to be socially based. They want to have opportunities to co-learn with each other, to teach each other, to go side by side learning with their teachers, but also bringing in experts. The students also feel that their learning process should be untethered. Now, sometimes when people hear me say untethered, they think, oh, they just want a device or they just want to use their phone. That's actually not what the kids are talking about. The big thing with the kids is that, with the students, is that they just think about technology as a utility. Now, that's a different mindset for many of us, particularly educators that remember before we had technology or before we had one-to-one or before we had all these fabulous digital resources. But for the kids, it's just a utility. It's a way of being efficient and effective. And so when the students talk about wanting untethered learning experiences, it's because they know the world is full of information and they want to have access to it and they don't want to be limited by the resources in their community, in their school, or even the knowledge or lack of knowledge of their teacher. So those are two key components. The students also really like when learning experiences can be contextually rich and provide a connection into the real world. And that's an ongoing theme that we see. And technology enables that. It doesn't have to be technology enabled, but it can be. And then again, as we've talked about, having that component of independently driving some aspect of the learning process. But I would say probably the most durable theme that has been out there is the frustration that our students have that their learning experience in school doesn't look like their learning experience outside of school. And some of them get very good at playing the school game. And we all know kids like that. Some of us maybe were those kids, right, that played school well. But for other kids, it's just a great sense of frustration And I worry about not just the lack of agency, but are we so disconnecting kids from the motivations of learning that they may be unrecoverable going going on to the future? And so we need to be very cognizant of how our school environment, the structure, the traditions, the things that we value from a learning standpoint, how those need to be adjusted to meet the lives that our students are living outside of school. Now, people can complain and say, I don't want to bring games into my classroom. That's not the type of teacher I am. But you need to understand that for the students, that game experience is not just about fun and entertainment. It's actually a learning environment. So we need to do a mind shift in the way we're approaching school because of that disconnect that the students talk of, talked about in 2003 and t- are talking about right now in 2022. 
once a student or once anybody right, decides this place was not designed for me, they're going to check out, they're engaged, and they're not really coming back until there's clear evidence that the circumstances have changed. And I think that's one of the students, I think, often feel that while they're in school, a lot of people definitely feel it after they've graduated and they look back and say, how was my schooling experience actually preparing me for what I'm doing now or what I'm struggling with now? And a lot of times it is a matter of tapping into those thoughts and understanding that's what they want to know and making sure they know it because it's not necessarily, not across the board, but it's not necessarily that the things students are learning in school are not relevant to their future, but it's that nobody is really articulating to them how it's relevant or showing, okay, in the future, you're going to have to do this and this, and here's how this connects to that. We're just teaching it in isolation and not really connecting that. And then sometimes there are things that legitimately say, we need to update this instructional method or this curriculum because it's not relevant to modern times or what our kids are going to have to. So there's a little bit of each, but it starts with saying, okay, if they've already caught on to this, we need to catch up because, and I've heard, I've had the opportunity over the past handful of years to hear from a lot of students in particular who have opted into online and hybrid learning environments and just something outside of whatever their traditional schooling was. And it's interesting to hear them talk about that, not because of particularly what they chose or, and certainly not because they're any smarter than any other student, but because the idea of choice and voice has now been introduced to them as something they have an opportunity to exert. And they feel like they had that agency. It has caused them to really reflect on what that meant and how it really aligned to what, how they want to learn and where they want to be and how it benefited them. And that's the thing where I think you may even find via the survey, right? It's a good thing for educators to trust because they're not necessarily having those dialogues in the schools. So students may not necessarily be articulating these things on a regular basis because they're not thinking about it. I'm in the school, this is where I am. But once you're asked and once you're in dialogue about it, you're thinking, oh yeah, you know what, this would be really interesting. Or if I had my choice between A, B, and C, C really sounds like something I'd like. It's just never been brought up to me as an option before. There's certain things that you have found through the surveys that either you believe are or that are surprising to educators. You talk to a lot of educators too. Are there things you say, oh, kids really consistently say this and they're thinking, really, I never would have thought that. Yeah, absolutely. The one that I'm talking, there's two key statistics that I'm talking about right now that are coming from the Speak Up research that it causes educators to have pause. And so I'll share both of them with you. The first one is that during the pandemic and subsequently after the school disruptions, many educators said, oh, our kids are no longer engaged in learning. They were in, and the assumption is they were engaged in learning before the disruptions to traditional school broke that engagement. And now we see that kids are not engaged in learning. And I have lots and lots of, there's teachers and administrators that tell me that. But actually, the, the Speak Up data tells a different story because we've been polling students, asking their level of agreement with statements about engagement for many years. And in fact, the reality, hard, cold reality, folks, is that 50% of our middle school and high school students nationwide say that they are engaged in what they are learning most of the time in class, 50%. 
and 50% say they are not engaged in what they are learning in school most of the time. Right. And that number precedes the pandemic. So for the folks that want to point to the pandemic as the bad guy and school disruptions as the cause, they're actually missing the story, which is that for a lot of our students, they are socialized with, as I said, how to play school, how to look responsive in a class where maybe they are not engaged in the learning process. I was just looking at some statistics from teachers and still over 60% of teachers say that the way they evaluate student engagement is eyes on the teacher, head nods, smiley faces. And in fact, we all know we can be in meetings, we can be in all sorts of different professional environments, and I can play a really good game of looking at you and smiling and head nodding, and I'm not engaged at all. And the students are doing the same. And so I think that we have actually, a, we do have a crisis of engagement, but it's not, to blame it on the pandemic is not to look at the root cause and we need to do more root cause analysis to understand why students are not engaged in what they're learning in school. And a lot of times the students will point to the fact that someone has not connected the dots for them between right. why is this relevant. They don't understand um, the connections or the methodology that's being used, the instructional practices, or even the kids will say it's boring, right? That is all part of the reality. The second statistic I'll give you, which again is something that we can't look away at any of these statistics anymore. We have to really dive into what are the root causes and how do we improve them, is that for the last couple of years, only a third of students, middle school and high school students, only a third say that their classroom affords them the best learning environment. Only a third, meaning two thirds do not believe that to be true. So from an educator standpoint, we may say, hey, you know what? The classroom, being in the physical classroom, that's the best learning environment. But we need to understand that works for some students sometimes and it isn't universal. And so that causes us to stop, to pause, or it should, to say, okay, so let's look at what are we doing? Are we developing relationships with students? Are we providing instruction that is meaningful, that is contextually relevant? Are we connecting the dots for kids? Are we providing them with opportunities to have some agency in their learning process? So those are the ones that I think folks should be paying more attention to. I'm talking about them every day now because it is a it's a moment in time. It's a moment in time when we can rethink the way we're approaching instruction. And as I've been saying, I think that paying attention to what our students are actually telling us about the learning environment and being reflective of what that means is part of our job in yeah. terms of thinking about improving education. Yeah, the phenomenon you described around engagement really relates to, on a previous episode, how Mike Anderson described that students can get really good at compliance and that can get mistaken for engagement, but it's mm -hmm. not, right? It's not really engagement. And that's why it's important. And his book is all about tapping into intrinsic motivation of students and understand what that looks like and really what is authentic engagement versus what is our vision of, okay, if everybody is doing what I want them to do, then they must be engaged. And look, there's days where it's natural that feels good. <laughs> 
because it seems like nobody is resisting our objectives, but there, there are things that they're also telling us about what do I really want to be learning? Is this really pushing my thinking? Am I really thinking actively? That's sometimes a student who may seem like they're pushing back. That's because they're engaged, because they're actually thinking about what they're hearing and they're saying, I don't know, what about this? What about that? So as we're getting closer to the close here, at the end of your book, you write about like 10 things that education leaders can do basically right away to start facilitating free agent learning. And so I wanted to point out one that stood out to me, and then I'll let you highlight one of your choice. Um, but what I really liked was recognizing outcomes from free agent learning in the profile or portrait of a graduate. And it relates to, it's something that I have brainstormed in the past and hadn't come to any conclusion on, but it's like, how can we, and thinking about increasing equity and access to higher education opportunities in particular, how can we better represent the full breadth of what who a student is, what they know, what they're like as a learner, what they're interested in, what their potential is, and encompass all of those things outside of, okay, you know, they got a C in math, or, or in fact, their GPA isn't that high, but they were trending in the right direction. They had really good grades this year because they were starting to get engaged in things, but also they really are good at this and this that, you know, so I really like that a lot, but can you talk more about what as how that can be enacted, how that can be brought into that profile of a graduate? Absolutely. And it really, it starts obviously with this understanding that learning, effective learning or meaningful learning isn't just happening from 8.30 to 2.30. And so if we're truly setting up a graduate profile or our learner profile for our students, we need to think more broadly about the holistic student, not right. just the student that we see Monday through Friday from 8.30 to 2.30. And so that's where I think it's really interesting. And so many school districts are doing such great work around really peeling back the onion about what they want that graduate profile or learning profile to look like. I've been involved with lots of different planning sessions with school districts, and it's another aspect of our work because we can bring the research in to support what they're saying. So I've been engaged with lots of different communities as they're unpacking this. So really starting to think about beyond that 2.30, 3.30 timeframe, and I love the idea, particularly about valuing either be it work experience that students are having or this idea of becoming proficient. I've talked to so many kids and I know sometimes educators will, will fluff it off and say, oh, that's not meaningful, that are have YouTube businesses Mm -hmm. are have their have are pursuing their passion in terms of skill development outside of school either through internships or through opportunities to as i said through the through youtube businesses really developing interesting life skills that should be included in that so i just tell districts to think more broadly than your own 2:30 to 3:30 or i'm sorry 8:30 to 2:30 right. perspective and realize that the reality is that it is all blended now, right? That these are not separate silos, but really more blended together. And so that should, finding ways to incorporate that into the graduate profile, I think is really interesting. Plus it also, the key thing with the graduate profiles is that it sends a signal to your community. This is what we value. 
This is what we think is important. This is what we're aiming for our students, which is a wonderful community engagement component. And so understanding that reality, I think, is, is wise for school districts to pursue as well. Yeah, absolutely. And my last question is, out of the other nine of those strategies that you encourage leaders to try, is there one other one that you'd like to highlight to say, think about this, see what you can do about it right away? The easiest one is the first one. And that is having teachers just simply, as I gave with the example of the teacher with the student learning how to play the piano, ask your students, ask them what they're interests are, what they're learning outside of school, what tools they're using, how they're finding that experience. Is it meeting their needs? Is it not meeting their needs? How are there ways for them to incorporate and recognize and respect that the students are learners driving their own educational destiny? And I think that recognition and that respect goes a long way to building relationship, obviously, but it also helps the teacher understand their students better. And when the teacher can understand their students better, particularly today, it provides so many more opportunities for a successful learning experiences in school for all students. So that's the easiest one that people can, they can start that tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah. I think there's so much throughout this book that kind of fits right into that opportunity to flip that switch. People who are successful now in a variety of fields, right, but who were not labeled as the traditional good student or were good at or interested in things that kind of fell outside the scope of what was typically emphasized in school and who will basically present it as, well, I'm successful now in spite of or despite having been a bad student or what my school experience and flip that to really I'm succeeding in this because of the fact that my school prioritized this and supported me in this. And, and it's not that it's a huge difference, but it's not that far to go, basically to say, all right, are we taking advantage of those opportunities to really help our learners feel like all learning and all of their motivation and passion for learning is valuable and that there's a lot to be gained from that and supporting them and not feeling like some learning is good, other learning is bad and, and so on. Julie, where can our listeners learn more about your work? Is there anything that you would like them to check out? We would always love your listeners to come and visit us at tomorrow.org. So that's our organizational website for Project Tomorrow. There's a lot of research work that is shared there, our speak up reports, our infographics, our briefings, our presentations, lots of wonderful resources there for educators that wanna learn a little bit more about the authentic feedback of what we're finding out from stakeholders. In addition, Speak Up is open for every K-12 school and district to participate in. So the schools and districts can use our normed surveys to collect valid feedback from their stakeholders and learn about the free agent learning behaviors of their own students so that they can start to act on that. So tomorrow.org is the best place to come and visit us. Wonderful. So listeners, check out tomorrow.org and we will put that link down in the show notes as well. We'll also link to the book, Free Agent Learning, which you can get on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and a variety of other places. Please do subscribe to the Authority Podcast for more in-depth author interviews like this or visit bepodcast.network to learn about all of our network shows. So Julie Evans, thanks so much for being on the Authority. It was great being here, Ross. What a fun conversation. (laughs) Thank you. I really enjoyed it. 
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.